Good morning, I'm Frank Powers, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, the program where I speak to our neighbors, the people behind the scenes of our amazing organizations, small businesses, and nonprofits. Our friends are informing you how they serve our community, and they are here to give you updates on future projects. So let's make some new friends today. UA Cooperative Extension is one of the pillars of the University of Arizona's Division of Agriculture, Life, and Veterinary Sciences and Cooperative Extension. The Water Irrigation Efficiency Program is designed to conserve our most precious resource, water, by increasing water efficiency in crop production by at least 20%. This reimbursement program is designated for farmers who would like to increase their water efficiency by installing qualifying irrigation systems. The grant is dispersed and managed by the University of Arizona's Cooperative Extension, who will also be responsible for researching the impact in partnership with grantees. All this talk, I'm parched. Ah, can I get a glass of water? Can I get one in 10 years? Can I get one in 20? Let's find out. Because today I'm joined by Professor of Agriculture and Technology at UA, Ethan Orr. Ethan, welcome to Lifestyle Tucson. Frank, good morning. It's great to be on your show. And yes, you will have water in 10 years, 20 years. And if we do our job right, 100 years. That sounds good. Uh, just meeting you off the air <laughs> and the little bit of preamble that we've been doing, I'm like, I think I'm more excited to talk to you than anyone in a while because I don't think I have to say much. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and we have water with us. So I'm a pretty water. happy guy. Yes, that's the spirit. <laughs> so uh, we are going to be talking a lot about water conservation and stuff today on Lifestyle Tucson. But first, let's talk a little bit about what the UA Cooperative Extension is all about. Give me a little one-on-one. Perfect. Um, one thing that this, this actually goes back to the mid-1800s. Every time we say the word land-grant cooperative extension, no one really knows what it means. But we banter the words around. Basically, what it was is it was a distinctly American way of reshaping and reviewing uh, knowledge. So before the 1850s, knowledge was kind of the purview of the elite, which is great, mm -hmm. but it was used to maintain control of the masses and keep the elite elite. This uh, whole concept, cooperative extension land grant, was making knowledge accessible and practicable. So instead of just, you're going to learn Latin and you're going to be one of the, the rulers of the world, mm -hmm. we're going to teach you how to mine better, how to do better agriculture, how to have a better diet. And we're going to make sure that college is accessible to everyone. Now, the reason that I like this so much, historically, if you look at the United States, it's an economic miracle. It doesn't just increase from the colonial times. It actually does a parabolic thing. Um, so it's increasing at a greater change. And there were two major inflection points. The uh, Industrial Revolution, which was preceded by investment in ourselves, the land grant and creation of land grant universities by President Lincoln, and then the computer revolution, which was preceded by President Eisenhower's investment, the GI Bill, creation of community colleges. Every time we get more people access to knowledge and invest in ourselves as a civilization, we create economic prosperity. That's what the land grant and cooperative extension is. We're all over. We have 600 employees around the state, and we use scientific research and knowledge to solve community problems. For science. I love that science. I appreciate I appreciate the history lesson. Yes. I get goosebumps whenever Lincoln's mentioned, to be yeah, honest absolutely. with you. Absolutely. He was our greatest president. That's right. So things uh, linking to now and modern mm -hmm. times with what the cooperative extension is all about. Let's actually just ask about that. If you're looking toward the future and you talk about the Industrial Revolution and then some of the computer age with Eisenhower, what about now? What are you thinking about as far as you're starting to see with technology and where we're headed? I, I, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, we have things that are scary. AI is scary. Mm -hmm. However, one thing that I look at, and I know we're talking about water, but I will digress a little bit. 
I, I studied what happened to jobs when the internet came on. Mm-hmm. And there's really two cl- types of employees out there. The kind whose jobs will be replaced by AI and the kind whose jobs will be enhanced by AI. Mm-hmm. So you think about when, when I was growing up, someone that was a travel agent was the pinnacle, the greatest job ever. Uh, you got to go to Europe multiple times and you were kind of this, this middle class, you were at the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. The internet came and now I can book all of that myself and all of those jobs went away. Yes. Um, that's what I mean. But there were people, uh, CEOs and business managers. I look at my phone and I could run a company in an airport, flight to flight on my phone. I don't need a whole staff to support me to do that. Right. And so I think AI is going to be the same. And we're already seeing it with machine learning and, and, and agriculture because 2% of us feed the 98, the other 98%. We've already been here 10 years before. And so I'm excited. I'm excited because in the early 1900s, it took 90% of us to feed 100% of us. And we've always been finding ways to do it better, smarter, faster, which not only is more efficient use of water and land, but it's more efficient use of time because it frees up another, not, almost 90% of us, 88% of us, to do other incredible things with our lives. I believe AI will do the same. That's true. And the one resource we can't replace is time. Exactly. Right? That's true. I'm not as afraid of AI, and I'm even an, an artist and designer. I'm not as afraid of it because the same thing kind of happened when clip art houses got invented. Exactly. Right. Uh, I use it as a tool because there's always still going to be maybe a middleman that needs to know how to even use that AI tool. Yes. Yeah. And I, I do say this. But I, my, my son is actually, he's 18. He's going to the U of A next year. I'm very proud of him. Uh, he's the one that said this because I joke with him about students of mine that try and use AI to cheat. Yes. And he's like, if you're using AI to cheat, you're not going to have a job in five years. You're not. Because guess what can do that same thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, know, you will not have a future. Right. And Because when you cheat, who you cheat and you cheat in yourself. Exactly. Don't forget that, folks. <laughs> all right. Um, so we talked about some of that. Let's get into the water. All right. So we hear the news often that Tucson is running out of water. <laughs> you assured me that that's not really uh, something I should be concerned with. It's not. Okay. Um, and one thing that always interests me about the concept of climate change, I really call it climate mitigation. Okay. I am not afraid of the future because I believe we as a people and we as a civilization have been given the intellect upon creation to overcome challenges that face us. Yep. So, for example, as we were talking about beforehand, you know, people like to introduce this divisive language, ag versus cities. We're running out of water. Oh, no, we need to control and ration your life. I looked at the historical water records in this state. In 19, we use less water now than we did in 1962, overall as a state, yet we have over three times the population. And if you look in inflation-adjusted dollars, we produce 50% more value for agriculture. So we're doing more with less by doing it better. And that's what this grant is all about. I mean, that's huge. Just when you talk about percentages, I love percentages. They just yeah. put things in so much perspective. 2% feed the other 98 now. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. When you're it, saying it used to be 90 to feed 100. Here's the amazing thing. Yuma. So if I go to Yuma, which I used to, I, I remember Yuma growing up as the McDonald's on the way to San Diego that you were trying to get out of there. Right. Yuma has a $5.8 billion economy that in the winter months feeds the entire continent. So if you've had a salad anywhere in North America in, you know, basically September to to almost May, that lettuce was grown, produced, and packaged in Yuma. Really? Yes. Wow. And the biggest problem I have in Yuma, in terms of ag, I mean, there's obviously soil water, all those, 
is broadband technology because what they're doing now, we're using drones, we're using machine mm-hmm. learning, we're using precision agriculture, and I need more bandwidth to apply that. Oh. So ag has always been on the cutting edge of technology by the very nature that you have to. Well, that's very, very interesting. And again, to, to find out a fact about something like that where you really, I know. And all of the all of the lettuce? That's insane. All of the lettuce. In the, the Yuma, a little bit on the California side sure. of the river, but all of the lettuce in that valley. That's incredible. It is impressive. That is very impressive. How much do you think that the fact that people are uh, like drinking bottled water is affecting things? Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thing that whoever came up with marketing and putting water, which I can open a tap yep. and get at any point, and selling it more than gasoline... was onto something. But I do think if you look at kind of the future of water, and this is why programs like mine, arid land studies are so important, I do believe in the future, globally, Mm -hmm. there will be more wars fought over water than there will be over gasoline. Do you think we're headed there? I do. I do. If you look at, um, just as an aside, uh, you saw conflict between the Taliban uh, running Afghanistan and Iran. And even though they were similar, even one was Sunni, one was Shia, there were similar issues. Mm -hmm. There was a border conflict over water. And so if you have two countries that tend to want to get along having conflict over water, what happens when you have two countries that tend to not want to get along? Mm. That's insane. Like, you just scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> it should, but, but, but again, opportunity, because like I said, I'm not afraid. I know we, we talk about Deadpool, which is very scary, which is when no water can get past the dam of Lake Mead. And at one point, we were two years away. I was talking to some of my colleagues. Like, we were two months away. But here's the thing. The water level is rising. Okay. But what the reason it's rising is we're, as a civilization, putting more water behind the dam. And so there's history becomes this incredibly valuable lesson to be smarter. So I, I will give you another history lesson because it's fun. I'm Please. rambling on. Um, I, I, my, my undergrad was history, poli-sci. Okay. I love it. I love studying, studying why civilizations thrive, why they don't. If you look at Hohokam here, uh, ancient Mesopotamia, two things happened before their civilization collapsed. One, you look at uh, the ruins in Casa Grande. They started building broader and broader more complex canals and getting water from further and further away, kind of like what we were doing with the CAP canal, the idea of desalinization out of the city of Cortez, we're doing that. Okay. And what happened within that Hoacom, there was a mega drought, kind of like what we're in now, and they just didn't have uh, the, the power as a civilization to maintain these com- complex canals, and it collapsed. And the civilization, the Anasazi, the Hokam, went away in the 13 to 14 to 1500s. Mm. The other thing, particularly in Mesopotamia, and this is why part of my grant, soil health and crop production is so important, not just mechanically using less water, is the salinity of the soil became worse and worse. So they didn't maintain soil health, and so the types of plants they could grow were worse and worse. Mm. So that when you see those two things in conjunction, in an area like Arizona that's so arid, and water is our most important resource besides intellect, um, be careful. Mm. Ecosystems are such a delicate balance, Especially aren't they? in the desert. Yeah. One, one other fast fun fact that we talk about in natural resources, and I know we, we want to have a discussion, but this is the other thing that, that concerns me from a natural conservation standpoint. Uh, and it's a little bit glib, but one of the problems as we settled uh, across North America is in the Midwest, we farmed the Midwest the way we farmed Europe, and you turned it into a giant dust bowl. Mm-hmm. What is happening in Arizona, we, we have these incredibly balanced, delicate ecosystems, is I'm starting to see these large firms come in and they're farming Arizona the way that we're farming the Midwest, and you're starting to create a dust bowl. 
And so you have to understand the environment in which you live in order to be in balance, but also in order to be a good steward of it. All right. Let's, uh, Let's make sure that you make me feel better going forward. I will. Because <laughs> I'm terrified. <laughs> well, no, I'm thing, not terrified. Yeah. Let me ask you one thing. Here's an easy yeah. way to make me feel better. And even a stand-up comedian does this. Is the water here safe to drink? Yes. Yes, yes. of course it is. Of course it is. All right, you don't need I to buy I drink out of the tap water. I'm not afraid of it. Right. I save my money by doing that. And I will use another thing. This water program that we have by investing in ourselves, and I know that's why we're here to talk about this yes. $45 million program that was set up over two years by the governor and the legislature, we are on track to conserve more water when this program's said and done every year than the entire CAP allocation of the city of Tucson, about 165,000 um, acre feet. Now to put that in context, Tempe Town Lake, so I've learned to speak in lakes, not, yes, okay. um, Tempe Town Lake, that giant thing they have up north is 3,000 acre feet. And so I'll just do the math real quick. That's what, 30 plus throw in another four, 35. So when this program is done, we do it right. We will produce the same amount of crops. We'll maintain our soil health, but every year we will have done it conserving or using 35 times the size of Tempe Town Lake less. That's incredible. I'm very proud of that. You should be very proud of it. And some of the things you've been talking to me about, you should be very proud of as well. Some of the stuff that you've done with the government work and some of the programs you got done for bike safety, all that stuff we were chatting about. I'm already just like on the edge of my seat for everything we're talking about. Just the water irrigation efficiency program. Sum it up for me because we have, we've kind of tipped all around yeah. it. Let's actually talk about what is it? Tell us. Basically what it is, is we go out to farms and, and Cooperative Extension already does this. I've, I've set up a committee and I have soil experts and irrigation experts. I have the top academic and industry people, all with PhDs in their field, and they help me do this. And we sit down with a farmer and we figure out a way that they can maintain their crop productivity and use less water, whether that's taking flood irrigation and replacing it with micro sprinklers and better sensor technology, or like a, a pivot, a, a center pivot sprinkler or drip irrigation. The other thing that we've done as a cooperative extension is we're always researching better crops. So we came up over the past almost 15 years with a crop called Waiuli that uses less water. It's now 80,000 acre feet or acres are under this in Pinal County that can be used to, to raise uh, for rubber, for tires, oh. for Bridgestone. And it uses considerably less water than cotton and some other crops. Hmm. What are some of the other unique things that might be growing around here? Um, they're, 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 uh, we do do a lot. There's typical things, alfalfa and cotton. Uh, we do produce. In fact, one thing I, I do have to say, I'll share this as the Tucson historian. Tucson and Egypt, there's only two places in the entire world that we have the sunshine to triple crop wheat. And so if you look again, going to Yuma and Pima County, we actually produce some of the best wheat in the world that is then shipped to Italy for extraordinarily high end pasta. So if you're buying some of the highest end pasta in the world, that wheat was grown here in Arizona. In fact, we're one of the most biodiverse states in the entire uh, country. Interesting. Uh, we, there, in the 90s, the Arizona highways did a magazine. It was called A Tribute to the 50 States. And I still have a copy of it. I love it. And it's an iconic picture from each of the 50 states, including Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And as you open it, each of those pictures was taken in Arizona, including uh, like Havasu Falls down in uh, the Grand Canyon. And so Arizona, outside of possibly California, is the most biodiverse state in the entire union. It's the only state where I can be down here and it's 110 and I can go up to Flagstaff four hours away and be in the forest. That's right. 
the Sunshine Factory. It's I, quite a mystery. I, I grew up here, and so I, I got to sell my city. I love Tucson. <laughs> I love how much you love it. I love Tucson so much. I moved here twice. Nice. Like that's what I always, I always say. Tucson. Two, two, New York, and then where, where did you move? Yeah. From? Yeah. No, I moved back to New York, and then came back because you made the right choice. Yeah, and I knew that. And some uh, mostly, it's the people. Honestly, it it's the people. It is the weather. A lot of people talk about Tucson's weather, and it's like, yeah, it does get hot for three months, but so does everywhere else. Exactly. It's just as hot in New York, and it's humid. And out here, I feel like I get like 10 beautiful months. You do. And right? people are nice here. There's yes, they not are. That, that meanness. I, yep. I, I actually love being here, growing up here. People are just nice. I have a friend that calls it Tucson's just one giant high school hallway. It is. It that's is. A, that's a good way to look at it. All right. It is. And uh, I mean, that's my favorite thing about it. It is like, I was, like we were saying, it is the people. And just the community. There's a lot of community here, and I call Tucson the baby bear's porridge. I like that. It's it really is. Great, it's right? it's just a good place. And, yeah. And and you wake up, and I look at it. I, I, I used to uh, walk uh, backpack through Grand, the Grand Canyon with some friends, but I feel the same way whenever I walk in the desert in Tucson. If you're angry here, you have serious issues. Well, yeah. when I moved, I, I said, for it cured me of negativity yes. in a way. Uh, there's a documentary you may have seen about New York City and the negativity there. It's called Ghostbusters 2. I have. The river of slime <laughs> is real. And boy, you could feel that negativity. Um, and I and when I moved back, I would still like feeling the way I feel. I'm like, don't worry. This place healed you once. These barnacles will fall off. Well, I felt like they were barnacles, like stuck to my hull. Frank, it's, it's John Muir said it. We need the wilderness to feed our soul. And you can't tell me if you can if you can go to the top of Gates Pass or even go on the other side and watch the sunset or moonrise and still be incredibly angry at life, you should take some more time off. You it's should take more time off. That's good here. advice. Yeah, always, good <laughs> always good advice. Always good. <laughs> Says the guy that you know, runs all of his state walking. But I was about to say, I, this I guy sounds here. like you work more than anyone. I do, right? but I love my work. That's good. I love making the community better. I can tell. Yeah. Passion is the thing I get to interview most around here. Yes. Because the people that come in here are all the heads of these organizations. I say, I like to meet the faces behind the places. Yes. Let me ask you just this important question that's just popped in my head. Like, how important are farmers? Very Right. Um, it, it's incredibly important. So, for example, alfalfa, there's been a concerted effort to almost demonize this plant alfalfa because it uses a lot of water. And I've seen these very slick produced outside of Arizona videos. Eighty percent of the alfalfa that is grown in this state, we consume as Arizonans in the form of milk. Okay. And if I have to grow that alfalfa outside of Arizona, um, I increase my carbon footprint and I decrease the quality of alfalfa and milk. So I'm hurting particularly the middle class by raising prices and lowering quality. The other reason, again, the soil conservationist in me, I like alfalfa because if I stop watering it, it just stays there and holds the soil together. If I don't water wheat, cotton, a number of other plants, they dry up and go away. So we talk about food and farmers like to talk about, yes, they use a lot of water, but they produce all the food. I talk about the ecosystem benefits. If you want to create a truly dystopian society. Mm -hmm. Get rid of all the farms outside. We have 6 million people in the Sun Quarter, Tucson, Phoenix, roughly. Create a dust bowl right in the middle in Pinal County. What you will see, you'll see these giant haboobs, which we are, and then you're going to create a greater, exacerbate the heat island effect in Tucson and Phoenix. And so you'll live in a dust-filled city of 130 degrees. What farming does is it creates dust mitigation, but it also lowers the temperature of the surrounding areas and lower, increases the quality of life in our cities. Wow. That's, again, the ecosystem. The do I always talk about, you got to make sure you're always lining things up so the dominoes fall in the right direction. 
Yes. Because that's what it is. Every single thing affects another thing. There's butterfly effects, as we all know. Frank, you're onto it. You're yeah. absolutely right. And so nothing can be done outside of context. Yeah. That's very important. Well, let's talk about the grant then and get back to some of that. Who is eligible to receive this grant? Mainly farmers. So okay. I um, uh, basically, I, actually all farmers. So if you are flood irrigating as a farm, you can do it at one acre or a thousand acres. Um, I, I, we will send out a team, we'll work with you and we will, and a number of vendors, and we will design a system that uses less water that, but maintains your crop productivity and the biomes in your soil. So anyone that's farming is eligible. Okay. So the intended outcome of this impact that you're like hoping to achieve here, like mm -hmm. what, what do you think the next five years looks like? What is your like five year, like out? What do you think? Well, I think one thing that I, I like um, as a water solution, there is no one water solution. It's a series of intelligent choices that we need to make. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I don't like, I love desalinization as a concept. I don't like it as a silver bullet. This idea of at $3,000 an acre foot, desalinizing the Sea Cortez through this political instability and somehow getting up here. Because my grant, for example, by investing in ourselves, we're doing it at just over $200 an acre foot. So for less than a 12th of the cost of desalinization, we're, per acre, because we have all this private sector match, we're conserving water. So when I look at five years in the future, I think we as cities need to do better. You know, 90% of the population in Arizona lives in cities, about over 80% of it in that sun corridor. Are we capturing our water, like we were talking about off-channel, or are we building homes in the foothills that push that water down and create flood events and the Pima Wash and the Finger Rock Wash, and then we get it to the Rito and the Santa Cruz and channelize it and get it out of here? Or are we doing water calming to make sure that it goes into this alluvial layer and recharges the central well fields? Are we using water more than once? Are we being better stewards? So, for example, at the, we produced at, in College of Ag a greenhouse on top of the U of A. Oh. Uh, it's all water. If you want to mitigate the heat island effect, use less, take the joules of energy out of the system for 40% less water in this little greenhouse. We're producing 6,000 pounds of tomatoes that we donate to the campus pantry. Why do we have all these buildings that don't have greenhouses, rooftop gardens, absorbing the heat um, and making this a more livable city? Wow. Isn't it? No, what baffles me sometimes is when something does get invented. Mm -hmm. When something's new, that's an achievement that says, look, if we did this times 100, it works because it's working right here. Yes. Like rooftop gardens yes. and greenhouses. Why is it so hard to move things like this forward when it's like, here it works. Here it works again. Here it works a hundred times. Why don't we spend the money to make this work a thousand times so something really works? Frank, the problem that I see is we have a political class that is not serious. They want to go from photo op to photo op and call it governance. Governance is studying and researching an issue, learning what's best based on the best available science we have. And that's where you do need academic institutions and research people. Then creating a policy based on that and based on input and having the discipline to stay on it. So think about, Frank, if you and I, you, you don't need to go on a diet. I kind of do. But say I did. I would study what to eat, what to exercise. It's basically as simple as you burn more calories than I consume. Mm -hmm. And I'd create something based on research, but then I'd have to have the discipline to do it. That's a so good point. I can tell you the smart thing to do. So can a lot of other people. So an example, as a, as a random aside, I was meeting with some of our, our forest managers up at the Apache Sick Graves, uh, another part of my job. I do a lot with forest health and watershed. And we were talking about how to create a healthier forest, and I couldn't help it. I said, okay, do you really want me to hire another scientist who's going to report to me to tell you what you already know about forest management? Or do you want me to work with you to create economically feasible ways to create a healthier forest? 
Mm-hmm. And our forest leaders are like, um, that. Yeah. And so we know what to do in many cases. Just like I know how to lose weight. Yeah. The question is, do I do it? Yeah. And do I, as a political leader, I'm, not, I'm no longer one, I'm a, a university professor, but do we as people who know better have the will to go to the community and constituents and educate and lead as opposed to placate? Because mm. they don't call it easy work. They call it, it hard work. It is, yeah. but it's worth it. Yes, it I'm, is. Like you, you moved here because you love Arizona. I'm a fourth generation. I stayed here because I love this city. If we love it, we dream of a better future and we create it. No, that's exactly right. And it does take hard work, but it also takes little bits of work. What can people do right now at home themselves as they listen to maybe either get involved or get hired, volunteer, something like that with your organization? Well, Extension, we have the campus farms many people see going up the, the view on, on uh, Campbell if you're heading to the foothills. Mm-hmm. But Frank, if you think about it, water harvesting, I'm a big believer in passive solar, integration of science in our development codes, a little bit of water harvesting, because then you're, you're, again, taking that water and not just sending it out of here. Um, the other thing that becomes so very important is what we do with our gardens and with our species and really saying, I can have, and I'm not mandating get rid of your lawn, but I can create a very beautiful, my backyard is all zero scape. It's, um, it's basically a, a pollinator garden, you mm. know, uh, lantana and salvia um, and, and with less water, I can create a very beautiful tone of thing. So really being conscious of what we're doing. That's, a, I mean, that's some, uh, are you going to give a Ted talk? Have you done that yet? Cause you should. I, I haven't. I'd love to. You should. <laughs> I, I to. gave a Ted talk. If I could do, you could do it. Mine was on wrestling, but still. I'm impressed. I know. Hey, That's not cool. too bad. But uh, everything you're talking about today, again, very, very impressive. You're so well-spoken. And the thing that Thank matters you. most is you're so passionate. Well, it's our city. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like you're, taking care of our city. Cause I've always said this, I don't have kids yet. Tucson's my baby. It is. Yeah. Well, and one thing I have to say, because I was involved in downtown development and another organization I was so proud of, I ran for 10 and a half years, helping people with disabilities find work because I believe everyone's creative for a purpose, but I've observed in everything you either, when you face a challenge, you either resolve it in crisis or you resolve it with foresight and common sense. Mm. And if you look at the transportation of the city, the reason our transportation kind of sucks as I go across the community is so many times we chose the easy way. Yeah. And all of a sudden we didn't want to build larger freeways, grade separate change. We didn't want to deal with, we wanted to pretend that there was no traffic, even though since 1970 we have 3% annualized growth. We're over a million people now. Yep. And so we go, no, 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 cover our eyes, just like at Grant or Campbell and River. And then a light will fail. And it takes me five times a light cycle to get through that rush hour. And I get mad. Yeah. And then I respond in crisis and I tear up half of St. Philip's uh, courtyard from the church to expand an intersection, which if I had done that before with foresight, could have been avoided. Yeah. Good point. A lot of the, they call Tucson a walk up town when it comes to events. <laughs> Sometimes things uh, happen a little lazy or a little late. Or they check to see if there's a paycheck in their pocket, if they can do it. Uh, you can't do that when it comes to water and saving the entire city and our future because I'm pretty sure that we're all going to be uh, thirsty still. We are. <laughs> but, but it's, again, it's a balance of we want to be better stewards, but we don't want to do it in fear. You never make the right choice in fear. Ever. Right. So try to look ahead. Try to have some foresight. Try to get ahead of a problem. Yes. And listen to guys like this man right here, because today we made friends <laughs> with Ethan Orr. He's the professor of agriculture and technology over at the UA. My goodness, this is one of the best conversations I've had, and I don't even think we scratched the surface. Frank, thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate oh, I it. I appreciate you. Well, thanks so much. We're, you'll be back on here. We'll talk about more things, because I really did enjoy this. Uh, can't teach passion. 
But you. you know what? Sometimes when people hear it, they can feel passion. And I hope that a lot of people felt that today. I appreciate it. I appreciate the chance to, to talk to you and your viewers. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was Lifestyle Tucson. Bing bong bing. Time for a recap. And I think Ethan is my new spirit animal. I love when people come in here that are just so passionate about the thing that they love. And man, does this guy love Tucson almost as much as me, maybe even just as much. But uh, it was reminding me about my favorite onion article headline, which goes, amount of water man just used to wash a dish to be prize of hand-to-hand -hand combat match in 2065. So let's make sure that that's not what happens. And I'm hoping that's what Ethan's working toward. You know, get a nice drink from the tap in 2065. So don't worry, I think he's got us covered. And I wanna thank our new friends at the UA Cooperative Extension Water Irrigation Efficiency Program for joining me today. You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson. For more information about our program or to listen to something you may have missed, go to the Sunday Mornings page on klpx.com, kfma.com, mixfm.com, or espntucson.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are watched. I'm your BFF, Frank Powers. Toot, toot, Tucson. I love you the most. <laughs>